The Pride to Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout. Get you 15% off your order. That's POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions preview podcast. It is week six. Your Detroit Lions are four and one facing off against the three and one Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me as always, co-piloting First Bite is senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD. Doing some great pantomimes right now. Ryan Matthews is here. How you doing, buddy? Only available on the Twitch stream if you want to get on that. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. It's another week of Lions football. And again, Jeremy, it's a reminder of yesteryear because yes. it's creams it's creamsicle week. That's right. An NFC Central showdown. Uh, and to help us preview Lions Buccaneers, we as always bring on a guest from the opposing side of the view. Uh, he is the vice president and publisher of Pewter Report. Scott Reynolds is here. Scott, thanks for joining us, man. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I am excited about this one because, as I was telling Scott before we we get we, before we uh, jumped on the show here, is it feels like a little bit of a barometer test for for both teams. The Lions have gone up against mm-hmm. one top NFC team; it didn't go so well. Uh, the, the Buccaneers have had maybe an up and down schedule where you know you get a couple NFC North wins, which if they're not against the Lions, doesn't seem that impressive. <laughs> but right. uh, and then you get steamrolled by the Eagles and then you come back and steamroll the Saints and it's like okay who is this team so that's kind of going to be my first question Scott like where do you feel this Bucks team is could they be an NFC contender is it still just growing pains and and we'll see where they are they're going to be an inconsistent team all year what what are your thoughts I think we're going to find out at 7 30 on Sunday (laughs) night I I really do I think this This Lions game to me is is a better measuring stick than the Eagles' uh, loss on on Monday night was because, in my opinion, I don't think the Buccaneers are an elite team. Right, uh, they play the Forty ers later this year. They're going to lose again. They lost last year with Tom Brady, thirty five to seven. I expect a similar outcome. The the Forty ers are just that good, right? Yeah. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, handed the Buccaneers uh, a big time playoff loss last year. This Bucks team is is just not elite, but can they be good slash very good? We're going to find out because I think this Detroit team is a very good team. And so I, I put the Lions not quite in the Eagles class yet, but I think they're better than the Saints, right? So I think the, the Lions are kind of right here and we'll figure out based upon the outcome of Sunday's game if Tampa Bay can be a really good team. 
and and I think this Bucks team is going to get better as the year goes along, and and we'll see. This could be the first game between the Bucks and Lions this year because I do think both teams are playoff caliber teams. I would not be surprised at all if the Lions win the North, and I would not be surprised if the Bucks win the South. Right now, they're the the current division leaders, so. I have some reservations. I like that the fact that this game is in Tampa. I think that gives the Buccaneers a better chance, not an edge, but a better chance of winning. If this game was in Detroit, uh, I, I would probably say, yeah, this is going to be a, a loss for the Buccaneers. But it's creamsicle week. There's a lot of excitement. I know the players are jazzed to to look good in those orange and white creamsicle uh, uniforms with the Bucko Bruce helmets. And you know what the saying is, when you look good, you feel good. And when you feel good, you play good. So maybe that gives the Bucks a little bit more of an advantage on Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, and, and I think you're spot on in, in a couple of aspects, Scott, especially in the sense that I think coming into the season, the NFC North seemed like it was totally wide open. The yeah. NFC South, totally seemed like it was wide open. So right. you have two teams that are kind of sitting at the top of their divisions right now and they're kind of looking down and taking stock, right? And yeah. and I think when you look at this Bucks team, you have this team that's in an interesting I wouldn't call it purgatory, but it's just in this interesting transitionary period where you had the Super Bowl, yeah. You had the win, Tom Brady leaves and now what, right? Like do right. do we do we tear it down? Do we rebuild it? Yeah. Um what 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 kind of steps do you take from there? And and I guess the, the biggest thing is Baker Mayfield, right? And yeah. like it or not, I think every kind of team's barometer starts with where they're at, at you know, at quarterback. And I right. think if you if, if you would have measured that in training camp, I think everybody would have said the Bucks are toast, right? I mean, there's enough film out there of Baker sailing passes and things like that. But that's not the Baker that we're getting in the regular season. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about, you know, where Baker has excelled and and where you see maybe him growing over the season and, and maybe some of the shortcomings early on? So Baker, right, he's thrown coming into the season. He's thrown, I think, a couple picks now, but the 64 interceptions from when he entered the league through last year when he was a Brown for a second, then a Panther, and then a Ram, right? And now he's a Buccaneer. So he he's become a journeyman in one year. He's been on four teams within the span of one calendar year. So Baker Mayfield went from being the face of the franchise with the Browns to being a journeyman in just one season. That's that, that's kind of hard to do, but it happened. But I think it did a couple of things. It it humbled Baker, right? And, uh, you know, he, he's got a kind of a perception for being this cocky, you know, arrogant type guy. And, and I just haven't seen that. I think he's he's... He's not full of himself, but he's full of confidence within himself. And I think that's where he's grown and matured into that version of Baker Mayfield. Dave Canales come from Seattle. And everybody wrote the Seattle Seahawks off last year. They said, you traded away Russell Wilson. The Broncos gave you Drew Locke in return. You didn't draft a quarterback. I mean, you've got Geno Smith, a journeyman, and you've got Drew Locke. Good luck, Seattle, right? That was, that was, everybody wrote the Seahawks off. Well, what happened? Geno Smith in a very quarterback friendly, kind of easy to learn, easy to operate system. And he had the benefit of, of learning this, uh, you know, this offense. Um, the previous year behind Russell Wilson as the backup. So it wasn't even like Baker Mayfield where he's coming into this new offense. Geno Smith was in that offense for a full year, then was given an opportunity to win the starting job, which he did. And lo and behold, 32-year-old journeyman quarterback ends up becoming a pro bowler, passes for 4,000 yards, ends up winning comeback player of the year award. 
and took the Seahawks to a surprise nine and eight wild card, you know, team. And and so I think when when the Buccaneers when they signed Baker Mayfield, they said, you know what? It's the same type of offense Dave Canales is bringing from Seattle, where even a guy like Geno Smith functioned at a very, very high level. And the perfect world would be if Baker Mayfield follows in those footsteps and he's more talented physically than Geno Smith. He has a little bit more of the it factor. And what if he became the 2023 version of Geno Smith? And what if the Buccaneers became the 2023 version of the Seattle Seahawks, where everybody's expecting them to tank for Caleb Williams, but all of a sudden they start winning some games? And I think that's what's happened so far. Baker Mayfield got a lot of those interceptions out of his system in Cleveland. And Dave Canales from day one, and Todd Bowles has been saying it in unison, most important thing you can do is don't turn the ball over. Don't be the scoring guard. Be the point guard. Distribute the ball to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, the playmakers. Let them do the dirty work. And you just be that field general. And I think Baker has really taken that to heart. And I think that's what's propelled his hot start and the team so far. Well, you, you mentioned Dave Canales and, and the Seahawks, and I don't know if you know this, but Seattle's kind of the boogeyman around here yeah. in Detroit for <laughs> yeah. for the past two years. Um, and, and and this was brought up in, in Dan Campbell's press conference today. Um, the offenses are obviously similar uh, to, yeah. you know, what they did in Seattle and what they did, what they're doing in Tampa. Can you can you kind of just like explain the overall philosophy of this Bucks offense, particularly in the past game? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's using some bootlegs, some waggles, rollouts. It's it's having structure within the pocket and some designed throws from platform, right, from uh, getting rid of the ball quickly. That's what it's designed to do. The, the big shots down the field are going to come off play action. They're going to come off rollouts, bootlegs. Um, and, and that's designed to buy the quarterback a little bit of time by moving the pocket, right? And allowing those receivers to get down the field is the exact opposite of what we've seen the last couple of years in this Bruce Arians uh, vertical offense, which is we want to take the shots down the field, but we have to have that pocket hold up for it's like a rodeo, like four seconds. You got to hang on for four seconds, Tom Brady, you know, and then stand in the pocket and deliver a shot down the field to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or Rob Gronkowski, whatever. So this is different in that that there's so many quick, short, rhythmic throws. Um, that there's a lot of flood concept, which kind of you know gets that short, intermediate, and and deeper routes all within the quarterback sight line. There's some really easy kind of checkdowns to the the backs and the tight ends off of play action. So I think that's one of the reasons why Tampa Bay's offensive line, which is better in pass protection than it is in run blocking, has has had some success so far. Is because they don't have to pass block for long. We're not talking a rodeo where it's, you know, hang on for, for four seconds. It's like two seconds, you know, I mean, a rodeo is really eight seconds, but you get, you get my, my drift here. It's, it's literally, you know, just get in front of your guy and let Baker get rid of the ball. And so that combined with a, you know, a little bit of a force fed running game and Tampa Bay is not really good at running the ball. They were the last in the league last year in running the ball, rushing attempts plus yardage. Uh, this year, they're faring a little bit better. They've gone from 75 yards a game to 87, so they're making some progress. But it's really been up and down, right? You had 100 yard or 120 yards on the ground against the the Bears, and then a brick wall <laughs> in Week Three against the top ranked Philadelphia Eagles rushing defense. 
then 114 yards last week or two weeks ago against the Saints. And all of a sudden, boom, you got the Detroit Lions bringing that third ranked rushing defense, allowing 68 yards per game against uh, the teams. So we'll see how successful they can be against the run, or, or I should say running the ball against this Lions rushing defense this week. That's going to be a, re- a real big challenge. I know that the Buccaneers were very disappointed and how they performed in the run game against the Eagles. And I think this is going to be kind of like a do-over. Like, can you against a big physical, maybe not as talented defensive front as you faced in Philadelphia, but can you do that against a similar type of defense and scheme in Detroit this week? Yeah, and, and Jeremy, I think that's kind of the hope, right, is that you you have a performance against the Panthers where maybe it isn't as dominant, as as the Lions have been against the run, but it was still another performance where I think that it assuaged any concerns of maybe a slide back, right? Especially with kind of yeah. how things felt against the Panthers last year. So um, I, I guess, Scott, the, the one other question I guess I have is for the uh, the receiving core. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, Mike Williams, or uh, sorry, Mike Evans availability. Yeah. Um, and, and you talked about Chris Godwin. You have two big name, high profile receivers. Yeah. And then after that, what comes next? I mean, and, and can you give us maybe an idea of what Mike Evans availability will be on Sunday? My guess is he's going to be a go. He did not practice on Wednesday, but uh, my guess is probably Friday. He's going to give it a go and and see. The good news is it was a hamstring tweak. It was not a pull. Um, You know, and Mike has dealt with some hamstring issues before. So this is not uncharted territory for him. He's a 10 year veteran. He's also, I'm not going to call him a fashionista, but Mike's kind of a fashion guy. He likes to wear throwback jerseys, especially NBA, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you'll see him wear like an old Michael Jordan Tar Heels jersey. You know, Uh, he likes to to get into the NBA throwbacks. Well, there's no better throwback in Tampa than the orange cream sickle. (laughs) And this game is a game I don't think he's going to want to miss playing in. I love uh, it. For sure. Just for that reason. So my guess is, especially having the bye week last week that really bought him some time. My guess is he's going to be a go. And that pretty much means the the full team should be uh, at or near full strength, which is good because they had a lot of uh, bumps and bruises and some guys missing over the last couple of games uh, due to kind of a rough and tumble start. So uh, my guess is he'll play as far as the other receivers. It was very important, I think for, for them to learn how to win without Mike Evans. Mike Evans is in a contract here. He dominated training camp. I mean, uh, whether whether it was the contract or whether it was Mike turning 30 in August and realizing father time is not on his side, he's closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning, although he's still in his prime. Mike Evans just, I've never seen a training camp practice, uh, or I should say an entire training camp, like the one he put on. Like he was just out there making cornerbacks look silly and we're talking about you know guys like Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean who are really good so uh, for the first three weeks of the season he was averaging 99 yards a game had a touchdown every game he was the Bucks offense he was the passing game then you go to New Orleans against the Rock'em Sock'em uh, Marshawn Lynch matchup and he kind of dominated him in the first quarter four catches 40 yards then he pulls the hamstring then we saw Chris Godwin erupt for 114 yards. We saw Devin Tompkins catch all four of his passes for 40 yards. And this is a guy who's like literally 5'6". I mean, he is short, but he is fast. Caught a touchdown pass, his first in the NFL. We we saw Trey Palmer catch a nice touchdown off of a fade pass, something Mike Evans typically does. He's a rookie. So 
this team got some confidence, I think, in learning how to win without Mike Evans. It was a big kind of moral victory for this offense in New Orleans because they did so and they put points up and they scored touchdowns without Mike Evans. So there is a little bit of life after Mike. And and I think that was a big confidence boost for those younger players, especially Trey Palmer and, and Devin Tompkins, getting into the end zone and realizing that they don't have to sit around and watch Mike do all the heavy lifting. They can get involved, too. Well, I want to move back to the running game uh, real quick, um, because you mentioned the Bucs have struggled with that. Yeah. Is that is that a back problem? I know, like, the interior offensive line certainly isn't as strong as as. I would assume your your two Correct. best offensive linemen at, at off at left and right tackle. Correct. Um, just what yeah. what exactly is the the issue happening with the the run game? And I guess how have the Bucks managed to still be a a competent offense being one dimensional? Well, that's a great question. It, it, in the modern day NFL, unless you have a system that's been in place with an offensive line that's been in place and a running back that's been in place. I think most running games are a work in progress. I really do. Now I'm in my 28th year of covering the Buccaneers. And I remember the old creamsicle days, not the throwback creamsicle, like we're going to see on Sunday, the old creamsicle days, Sam Weiss, Tony Dungy, et cetera, where, you know, there was two days, two day practices, right? And, you know, you had full live goal line periods. You had live tackling periods. When I mean periods, I mean like eight minute periods of like full on offense, defense, one versus one tackling. And and that that's that's how it was. I mean, back in the day, you had I wouldn't say tackling in in mini camps and OTAs, but you had full contact. Now these training camp practices, whether it's part of the NFL PA. Uh, and the NFL collective bargaining agreement, or whether it's just coaches just not wanting to have their players go down due to friendly fire, you know, player safety. I, I mean, I'm not knocking it, but the reality of it is, is you can't get good at the running game until Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays, but mm-hmm. until game days, you really can't. And then, okay, like you have the preseason, how many series did the starters play together, right? I mean, a, a handful for the Buccaneers and that's it. So you don't want to hurt your players, your own players in training camp. So you kind of, you could only go about 70%, right? But trench warfare, you know, pad on pad, moving men, you know, creating holes um, and running back, seeing live action, not at three quarter speed, but full speed. That can't happen until you get to the regular season or maybe those five or six series you get in August. So I think it's a work in progress for this offensive line that really only has one player returning at the spot he played in last year. That's Robert Hainsey, who's really the backup center with Ryan Jensen out for his second year. And then you've got a new left guard in Matt Filer, a new right guard in rookie Cody Malk, and a new right tackle, Luke Etik, who's playing at right tackle much better than he played left guard last year as a rookie. And Tristan Wirfs, who you know is a mutant, he is a superhero, <laughs> he is the Hulk, the juggernaut, the thing rolled into one. He can be an all pro wherever you put him. I mean, he is playing at all pro level at left tackle, just as he did at right tackle. But having said that, it's you can have five fingers, but if I attack you like this, you know, I'm going to break some fingers. I have to attack you like this. And all five of those guys have to be 
doing the same thing at the same time for it to work. Then the running back has to read that. And we're talking about a new mid-zone run scheme as opposed to that gap duo scheme that the Bucs ran, which is more north-south. And it's just going to take some time. Uh, When you talk about zone blocking, everybody has to move in concert at the same time with the right steps and create those cutback lanes and those holes for the running back. The running back has to get used to seeing it and timing those cutbacks at the right time. Then you throw in... Tight ends, they're a part of that offensive line, too. Then you throw in, you know, backs, uh, or I should say receivers, you know, on the perimeter, right? If you're talking about a wide zone run, well, the offensive line can do its job. The back can do his job. And then all of a sudden the receiver misses the block and the cornerback makes the tackle for a two-yard game, right? So it's a work in progress. I don't expect this running game to really even get going to its full capacity until midseason. But they did show some encouraging signs of life against the Saints, and the hope is that that'll continue against the Lions. Um, all right, last question before we go to our first break. Uh, I want you to kind of switch roles here, yeah. act as a scout for the Buccaneers. Sure. What, is, what is the one part about the Lions' defense that scares you as a Bucks offensive coordinator this week? Aiden Hutchinson. He is a game wrecker. I mean, he is a game yeah. wrecker. And he's going to be going up against Luke Gedeke. And Luke Gedeke, to his credit, has handled Cam Jordan really well. Daniil Hunter in, in the first week of the season got a sack, but it really was Baker Mayfield's fault. He backed into it. Um, he's he's done a credible job. This will it be his best test by far. Not only can this guy um, be a run stuffer, he obviously gets to the quarterback. Nine and a half sacks last year, four and a half this year. He's got four interceptions. Okay, Baker Mayfield, we've seen him kind of do like little shovel passes and like as he's getting sacked, he he's really good at at eluding sacks and being a little bit of a Houdini, but like he'll kind of like do a little sidearm, you know, flick to the running back or the tight end. Those are the kind of passes Aiden Hutchinson's picking off. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then also too, it's it's the Bucks like to do a lot of rollouts. So Baker's a right-handed quarterback, right? Play action, rollouts to the right. Uh-uh. I mean, that's you're you're running right into Aiden Hutchinson. So um, in a nutshell, it's him. Now, the Lions defense, you know, Aline McNeil, you know, those linebackers, they're big, you know, Jack Campbell, um, Anzalone. Right. I mean, they, they, they've got some size uh, Barnes. There's some big linebackers. This is a big physical front seven. That kind of size wise resembles the Eagles. I think the Eagles probably have a little bit more talent with all those first rounders they have, but, but it's, it's a similar type of brick wall, you know, hard nose physical type defense. That's going to test the the physicality of the offensive line and, and the tight ends, but it's really Aiden Hutchinson and you have to game plan around this guy, right? You can't sit there and expect Luke Gedeke in his fifth start (laughs) at right tackle to say, yeah, go block the all-pro, the pro bowler, the guy that probably should have been the NFL defensive player of the year. Sorry, Zoss Gardner, but, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson is a beast. <laughs> he's a game wrecker. He's the guy. He is, he's is. he got Dave Canales' attention for sure, and Baker Mayfield's too. And I'm also convinced the guy is invincible because he took quite a shot after that interception and not even on the injury report this week. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, insane. Uh, but that's that. That's a great recap of, of the, the Bucks offense. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Bucks defense and how they ma- match up against the Lions explosive offense. When we come back here on First Bite, we'll be right back.
Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on First Bite, previewing Lions versus Buccaneers week five here with Scott Reynolds of Pewter Report. Let's move to the Lions offense versus Bucks defense. Uh, as I mentioned, Lions offense obviously humming along pretty good here, yep. have been since the beginning, the midway point of last year, maybe even a little bit before that. Uh, meanwhile, the Bucks defense uh, struggling against the run. Um, but this is kind of, I don't know, it, to me, it feels like another one of these things where the maybe some of the advanced stats don't match up against the eye test or maybe don't matchup against the the standard stats where you know the bucks haven't really been run over in any game other than the, the eagles game which <laughs> yeah. is okay the eagles run over everybody they have the best offensive yep. line in football right. um, but they're 21st in dvoa against the run 32nd in pff grade and uh last in run stop win rate which is espn stat which i have problems with so i'm, yep. I'm willing to overlook that but um what's your kind of assessment of of the buccaneers run defense is it better than it looks i mean we we know they have a couple of really talented interior yep. defensive linemen. So what's going on there? It really, I think it's skewed, right? Because the Buccaneers have, have had a bye week. So there's only four games we're talking about. And in one of those games, they gave up 201 yards rushing, as you mentioned, to the Eagles, right? DeAndre Swift, I think, had 130 yards on the ground, 135, something like that. So so I think it's skewed. I, I look back at the... The Saints game, they did a great job handling them. They handled the, the Vikings pretty well. The Vikings don't have a ground game since Dalvin Cook's been gone. Um, and they did a good job controlling the Bears' ground game as well. So I I really think that's the outlier in the fact that you have a small sample size of only four games and you throw a 201-yard game in there. That skews the statistics a little bit, in my opinion. I think Tampa Bay's done a reasonably well job. Uh, however, having said that, this is a similar type approach, not, not a similar type offense, but a similar type approach, which is run the ball, use play action, right? And and uh, Jared Goff has been getting all sorts of flowers and props down here. Uh, Larry Foote, the co-defensive coordinator, even said that 
Jared Goff is up there with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in terms of being that good with play action fakes. He really sells it. Baker Mayfield gave him a bunch of props today as well for doing just that of just really selling those play action fakes and the analytics, you know, people out there, they're going to say, well, you don't have to run the ball to use play action effectively. And, and that that's true, but any NFL linebacker will tell you that if a running game is working, it makes play action even that much more effective because you can't cheat. You can't sit there and take one step, right? And then do your drop. You you know, you're reading your key, one step drop, whatever they think that's going to pass. No, you got to like literally step and wait and look at your gap and make sure there's not a running back coming through that hole. And then you got to fill it, right? Uh and, and that's where Jared Goff gets you is he does such a good job faking that he makes you think it's going to be run and then boom, it's a pass. And, and so it's it's going to be a challenge, right? The, the Lions will run the ball relentlessly. And David Montgomery is a back that he doesn't care if he gets three yards or 30. Um, he will keep mashing and bashing that hole. Uh, until something breaks and he's a very patient runner. And I don't mean patient, like, um, like, you know, waiting for the hole to open. He's not a patient in that means, but what I'm, what I mean is he doesn't care if, if the hundred yard game comes with 17 carries or 27 carries or 37 carries, he doesn't care about the average. He just cares about getting positive yards, picking a first downs and scoring touchdowns. Speaking of touchdowns, the lions don't settle for field goals. That has the bucks attention. Uh, their red zone offense is phenomenal. The Bucks' red zone defense is phenomenal, second in the league. So something's got to give. I think this is the game, if you want to really boil it down to who's going to win, the team that scores more touchdowns than field goals. And on paper, that's the Lions. 18 touchdowns this season on offense, not including the Brian Branch touchdown in week one. 18 on offense, five field goals. That's astonishing. That's why the Lions are just a hair under 30 points per game. Conversely, the Buccaneers have scored eight offensive touchdowns, not 18, but eight, and they've settled for seven field goals. That's the sign of a new offense, a new quarterback, a brand new play caller, a revamped offensive line, figuring things out through the first four weeks of the season. So I I think if this game was played in week one or week two or week three, I, I don't see how the Bucks beat the Lions, but maybe with with getting 26 points on the board against the Saints, which is their highest offensive output to date, maybe that gives this offense some confidence that if it does become a shootout on Sunday, maybe they can hang with the Lions a little bit. But uh, this defense in Tampa Bay, they've got to hold the Lions to field goals, which is something that really just hasn't happened yet in Detroit. Well, Scott, I, I totally agree with the point about like it's going to end up who's putting the ball in the end zone more than putting the ball through the uprights. And I think when you have that slim a margin of error, the other thing that comes into account is turnovers. Yes, and the Bucks time. have been winning the turnover battle yeah. just as good as anybody else in the league, right? Yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> plus seven. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Plus seven. And then even when you take into account that they've only played four games, they're 
turnover differential per game is right up there with the bills. I mean, they yeah. are, yeah. they're good. They're good. And they, they took care of the ball in the first couple of weeks. The second couple of weeks had some turnovers, but again, their defense can just generate turnovers. Where is that coming from? Is it, is it, is it the pass rush? That's really forcing the quarterback to make mistakes. Is it, is it fumbles that they're forcing? Are they, are they aggressive at the, the, you know, the point of tackle? Um, is it their coverage? What, what is the secret sauce to the bucks being so good at generating turnovers on defense? That's a great question. Um, and I say that because they have 10 takeaways in four games. They actually had 11 takeaways in the first four games last year. And then everything came to a screeching halt. Okay. The Buccaneers, I want to say through four games last year, had six interceptions. They only had four the rest of the way. They finished with 10 interceptions. Like they couldn't buy a turnover. Like Todd Bowles couldn't bribe, <laughs> he couldn't lay out enough <laughs> yeah. money to get uh, an interception or, or a fumble. It was the craziest thing because they got up such a hot start. They're off to a similar hot start this year. And it's interesting because, you know, you look at the interceptions that they've had. D. Delaney, who's like their fourth string cornerback, has two of them. And he's tied for the lead with, with Christian Izian, who is the rookie undrafted free agent nickelback. So it's kind of crazy. We haven't even seen a Jamel Dean or a Carlton Davis or Antoine Winfield, who's been a one-man gang on this defense. He's got two sacks. He's got two forced fumbles. He's got two fumble recoveries. He's a safety. He didn't even have an interception yet. So you almost kind of think, okay, well, once the starters start getting interceptions, this thing could really turn into a flood. Um, so that's the hope. So I, I don't know where the interceptions and the, and the takeaways are coming from, per se. Um some of it's pressure. Some of it's just reading and making plays on the ball. Um, you just hope it doesn't stop because we saw it stop last year. And then, you know, and, and turnovers, Ryan, to your point, they've been so instrumental to Tampa Bay's victories this year. They're 3-0 and when they win the turnover battle. They, were, they had two turnovers and two takeaways against the Eagles that evened out, and they got destroyed by the Eagles. Believe it or not, this Buccaneer team is good, but they have to win the turnover margin and almost win it decisively. I'm not talking about like one to nothing. I'm talking like three to nothing because that was what it was in Minnesota in week one to beat the Vikings by three points. Usually, if this was like a Tom Brady, Super Bowl caliber Buccaneer team in 2020 or 2021, and they won the turnover battle three to nothing, that score would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 31 to 10 not 20 to 17. So yeah. that's kind of the margin of error that this Buccaneer team has. If they lose the turnover battle, they will lose. If it's close, they probably are going to lose. They have to win it and almost win it decisively, like 2 nothing, 3 nothing, 3 to 1, 4 to 1 for them to win games. It almost and it almost feels like the opposite for the Lions, right? It feels like as long as they don't turn the ball over 3 times, they're probably going to win because that Seattle game, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think they turned it over three times. They had the, there was the Montgomery fumble, and I think there was at least one in There was obviously the pick six in the game. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, that's kind of, I mean, and it's, it's an overly simplified way of looking at the game, right? Like yeah. turnovers are, are caused by certain issues. You, you can't, it's not always easy to force them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think some advanced statistics will tell you that sometimes they're random, which would kind of explain why yeah. you have these spurts where they look really good and really turnover right. prone and, and, and times when there's just this, you know, Dirt Whoa, of, of yeah, nothing, right. yeah. Um, but but uh, let me let's get into like I guess their pass rush because their pass yeah. rush 
looks decent on paper. Right. I think um, three different guys have 10 plus pressures. And at the heart of that is, is Vita Vea. So yes. let's start there because he's <laughs> such a fun player to watch and, and yes. easy player to, to root for um, yet obviously is an absolute terror for, uh, for opposing offensive lines. Now uh, the, the Lions have actually played Vita Vea only once before. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, Frank Ragnow was the center at the time. It was 2000, yeah. 2000. Oh, I forgot now. 19, 2019, I think, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Graham Glasgow was the right guard, which is very yeah. well what the, the lineup could be, uh, even though Graham Glasgow obviously spent some time in Denver in between. Um, yeah. That day, Vita Vea only had one pressure, and those guys weren't responsible for either of them. But... Yep. Lions might have kind of a rotating situation here at left guard. If Jonah Jackson doesn't play, we're still not entirely right. sure what the Lions will do there. So how big of a game wrecker has Vita Vea maybe become since that 2019 season? He's he's really turned into quite the the dynamo. Um, I mean, he is. We talked about Tristan Wirfs being like the juggernaut, the Hulk, and and the, this big superhero. That's kind of Vita Vea. He's 6'4", 350-plus pounds. Um, just... Uh, a big Polynesian powerhouse. And, you know, he kind of started off as a, as a run stuffer early in his career, given his size, just playing that nose tackle. But then, you know, last year they, they kind of put him at three technique because they had so many injuries and he actually developed some real good pass rush moves. Um, he's not going to beat anybody with quickness. It's more of a power game, but I mean, he, he can take the center and drive him right back into the quarterback. if blocked one-on-one. So, he leads the team in sacks again. He had six and a half last year, which is a career high. Uh, it was the first time a Todd Bowles defense at, at any stop he's ever been in has has ever led the team. Usually it's the outside linebackers in his 3-4 scheme. But the Bucs have just struggled to get some something going with their outside edge rush. And the hope is that Kalaja Kansi can come back and really provide some of that, that instant, immediate penetration that will either generate sacks for himself or a cleanup sack for Vita Vea. Um, if the quarterback has to kind of step up and dodge Cansey, or if the quarterback bails the pocket and it flushes him left or right towards either Shaq Barrett or Joe Tryon Shawinka. You know, that's how sometimes these edge rushers get they get those cleanup sacks. So that's something that the Bucks really haven't had enough of is penetration. Because with a, a power guy like Vita Vea, it's more of just that slow kind of bull rush, you know, push you into the quarterback situation. But he's really good. He's got three and a half sacks. He leads the team. And and they're expecting bigger and better numbers from from Barrett and Joe Tryon Shoinka. And, and uh, uh, you know, they, they, they've got Cansey, who they're expecting a lot from. And and I think he has a chance to be a bit of a difference maker because we saw only in 11 snaps that he played in the Minnesota Vikings game before he re-injured his calf. He got a couple quarterback hits and he's kind of a chess piece. You can move around a little bit. Now, the biggest thing is with him is not the biggest thing. It's his size, but that's the biggest challenge he faces is at six foot 286 and not playing a lick of the preseason and only playing 11 snaps in Minnesota. How will you hold up against the run? How will you hold up when offensive coordinators are going to game plan and say, we'll actually take our chances with Vita Vea blocking him one-on-one. We see an easy double team with 650 pounds of beef with a guard in a center or a guard in a tackle uh, going up against the 286-pound defensive tackle. That's, that's where we have yet to see where Kalaja Kansi can hold up. 
And the Bucks pass rush becomes a lot more stale and less exotic in third and three than it does in third and 17 or third and 10. And that's what Todd Bowles wants. Stop the run early, get them into predictable passing downs, long, third and seven, third and eight, third and 10, third and 12. And that's where you see those exotic blitz packages with Antoine Winfield coming in from the slot or Ryan Neal or a cornerback. And and uh, he can open things up and do a lot more things creatively. But when it's constantly third and one, third and two, third and three situations, uh, his blitz packages kind of go out the window. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the secondary, Scott, because I, I think if you got some guys back there that are trending towards being healthy, um, you know, uh, Jamel Dean, uh, safety Ryan Neal, you talked about them a little bit in terms of yeah. bringing pressure and whatnot. I think the thing that might be most fascinating to me is you look at the advanced statistics for this Bucks defense, they rank second in pass defense. Yeah. Like, holy smokes, is that a product of kind of what you're talking about earlier in terms of the rush defense maybe being skewed? I mean, you played Justin Fields, you know, yeah. I mean, like, it, 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 is, is it a matter of maybe some competition that they played? Or do you think that this Bucks defense in terms of stopping the pass, like th- they could be maybe not the second best unit in the league, but they could still be pretty darn good. Yeah, I don't think they're the second best. I think that's a little skewed, but I do think they can be pretty good. Uh, Todd Bowles will will give up some, you know, some cushion. Um, he doesn't play as much press man as you might think, even though Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis can do it. It's just a little bit more of a high risk type of defense. And the biggest thing Todd Bowles doesn't want are the shot plays, right? And you have an offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson who gets very creative. What do we see? A flea flicker last week, right? The the touchdown pass to Laporta. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, those yeah, are the that plays. Was a flea flicker, yep. Yeah, those are the plays that that against like a uh, an aggressive attacking style of of defense um, that 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 will give them some problems, right? Yeah. So I think what what Todd Bowles likes to do is is we want you to drive down the field and have you get into the red zone, and then it's a lot shorter field to work with. Then we'll put the clamps on on you and make you force a field goal or along that. Eight to ten play drive, you get a holding penalty that backs you up, and then we we get off the field on a punt. Right? That's that's kind of what the mindset is. So it's it's a lot of, you know, keep keep it in front of you. Uh, they don't play a lot of cover two though, which I will say that the, mm-hmm. they will rotate and do some kind of uh, exotic shifts where you'll have a cornerback rotate to the safety spot, like a free safety, and then the strong safety rotates over to the free. And then you've got the linebacker kind of drops into the the corner shallow area. So he will morph into some some cover two, a little bit of Tampa two from time to time as a as a changeup defense. But really, it's a lot of cover three. Hmm. It's it's a lot of single high safety. That's Antoine Winfield. He is one of the best sure tacklers uh, in the league. Uh, he rarely misses a tackle. I mean, he saved two Justin Jefferson touchdowns in week one. He got a lot of you know. Uh, Laudits for his his sack fumble uh, fumble recovery uh, against Kirk Cousins, but it was really those two deep uh, tackles that that saved the day. So they'll play a lot of cover three, keep the passes in front of them, rally and tackle. They're, it's a pretty good tackling secondary, um, you know. And it's interesting, right? Because with with Amon St. Brown being you know questionable, Josh Reynolds having a little bit of a career uh, resurgence here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't really have that Justin Jefferson, that A.J. Brown. You know, those guys both went over 100 yards against the Buccaneers. They don't have that that dynamic receiver. It's kind of a, 
you know, it's a group effort in Detroit, yeah. right? Where it's it's a little bit of Reynolds, it's a little bit of Laporta. Um, it'd be interesting to see if if they get David Montgomery involved in the screen game because sometimes that pass rush for the Buccaneers can be susceptible. Uh, Alvin Kamara has got them a lot on screen passes in years past, but they know that's coming and they really shut Kamara down. <laughs> like they're very like lewd in and locked into that. I just wonder if Ben Johnson says, you know what, we're going to maybe we'll try to screen this team a little bit and get David Montgomery out in the flat a little bit where he can be kind of tough to tackle one on one if he's yeah. going up against the DB. No question. All right. Uh, before we get into our prediction portion, I, I want to ask you the same question I asked you when we were talking about the Bucks offense. What about the Lions offense scares yeah. you as a Bucks defensive coach this week? I, I think it's I think it's the play of Jared Goff. Go yeah. back to 2019. This guy threw for 517 yards against the Todd Bowles defense when he was mm-hmm. the, with the Rams. Now that was a 55 to 40 shootout <laughs> win by the Buccaneers. One of the craziest games you'll ever see. It was at the LA Coliseum. Back when he was with the Rams, the, uh, Sean McVay did not even try to run the ball. I literally think Todd Gurley may have had five or six carries. I think the Rams ended up with 12 uh, carries that entire game. Um, the, the Bucks had the number one ranked rushing defense at the time. And McVay just said, we're just not even going to try. We're going to not waste the downs. We're just going to air it out. And the Rams put up 40 points <laughs> against the Todd Bowles defense. Then the next year, uh, the Rams return the favor. They come to Tampa during the Bucs Super Bowl season. This is before the Buccaneers really flipped the switch on at the end. This is right before the bye week. And they beat him 27-24 on Monday night. Goff threw for 317 yards. Now, he did throw a couple of interceptions in each game, but he also threw for three touchdowns in each game. So, you know, he's got Todd Bowles' attention. And and even, even if you sit there and say, okay, well, what does Todd Bowles and the Bucs defense want to do? Take away the run and make the quarterback beat you. Okay, well... Jared Goff's done that once and just about did it twice. I mean, if you look statistically and said, all right, I'm going to put this quarterback out there, give him 517 yards and three touchdowns and score 40 points. Are you going to win or lose that game? I think everybody would bet their house that they're going to win. Well, it just was one of those days for the Buccaneers. They won 55 to 40. But my point is Jared Goff can beat this team with his arm and without a running game. And he's a better quarterback now than he was then. This guy's thrown nine touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, you know, he's he's got savvy about him now that he didn't have early in his career. He's got confidence. He's got a defense that knows that if I make a mistake, they're good enough to bail me out. So, uh, you know, he's pro football focuses, number one ranked quarterback right now for a reason. He's yeah. good. And that's exactly what Todd Bowles and Larry Foote and Baker Mayfield said today. This guy's a very good perhaps underrated quarterback. Well, I think that leads us uh, nicely into our prediction segment here, uh, where the, we call it the one thing we think we know where we make a prediction about the game, not necessarily a prediction about the outcome, the full outcome of the game, <laughs> but just one aspect of the game that we're mildly right. too seriously confident in. So, Ryan, I'm going to throw it to you first while I mute my mic because of my dog and say, Ryan, what is the one thing you think you know about Lions Buccaneers? So uh, I think the one thing I think I know, and especially after, you know, a a lot of the really smart, interesting, insightful stuff Scott has told told us, um, the one thing I picked up on was this Bucks defense and in terms of how attacking it can be and maybe where it leaves itself a little bit susceptible. I think that this is going to be the game where the one thing I think I know is the Lions are going to get the running backs 
the most involved in the passing game that they have all season long. So I, I really look forward to, you know, as a lot of Lions fans are, we're really looking forward to, you know, the usage increase for Jameer Gibbs, um, seeing some of that talent that all of us clearly saw um, in, in highlight reels and, and, you know, understanding that this guy was a positionless player. I think that if, if he can go this week, but even if he can't, I think that David Montgomery is somebody that they would definitely, they would have no problem getting involved in the passing game because that's something that Jeremy, like we talked about it in the off season. That was one of the things that we thought that he could be an upgrade over Jamal Williams. And, and, you know, he's, he's certainly proven it as a runner. I think that this week he has an opportunity to prove it as a receiving threat. And, and, Shout out to Craig Reynolds, too. I think he probably earned some more opportunities, certainly gained more trust after the game he had uh, at the end of last sure. week as well, because I'm not so confident Jameer Gibbs is going to give it a go this week, but we'll we'll see. Um, but I like that prediction, Ryan. I think that's that's smart. Um, and and I think it's it's a good way to to maybe throw the Bucks off balance a bit because they haven't really involved their running backs, I think, as much as maybe we expected so far. So I'll throw it to you, Scott, next. What's the one thing you think you know about Lions Buccaneers? I think that a Reynolds is going to score a touchdown. How about that? Um, <laughs> a Reynolds, one of them. A Reynolds, and not this Reynolds, not this guy. Uh, yeah. I think Josh Reynolds, who I like back at Texas A&M, actually, Mike Evans is a big Josh Reynolds fan. I mean, being a fellow Aggie, um, mm-hmm. I've really been impressed with with his play this year. So it's either Craig Reynolds getting a touchdown, spelling uh, <laughs> David Montgomery, or Josh Reynolds gets a touchdown for the Lions. Uh, no, let's make it more interesting. I think this is going to be a shootout game. I don't know why. Um, I mean, I do know why the, the Lions offense is really good, but I, I, I do think that they're going to find, you know, some some chinks in the Bucks' armor. And I, I don't know that that red zone defense is going to hold up. I don't think it's going to be in the 40s or anything crazy like that, but I think this could be a 27-24 game, which for the Buccaneers, that's kind of a shootout because they've done a good job of holding teams, you know, below 30 this year. No team has scored more than, uh, I think, the 25 points that, that the Eagles scored and they've only scored 26 points themselves. So something in the high twenties for Tampa Bay, that's a shootout. So I I think this is going to be a 27, 24 game. I'm just not sure who's going to win, but I do think it's going to be a very exciting kind of a shootout game, maybe like 26, 23, 27, 24, somewhere in that range. But um, you're going to see some trick plays. We saw Dave Canales open up the playbook. He had a, a wide receiver, pass from Chris Godwin. It was perfectly defended by the Saints, but uh, we're going to see some trickeration. I think Dave Canales is going to open up the playbook a little bit. We know Ben Johnson likes to get creative as well. So it's going to be very entertaining, fun, kind of a high scoring game. And I think if either one of these teams gets any type of non-conventional score, pick six or a special team score, they're going to win the game. It's going to be close, but this is going to be a kind of a high scoring, fun, you know, primetime matinee kind of game. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I do I do like what I've seen so far of Dave Canales, and I feel like he he might be on kind of that early Ben Johnson trajectory. Obviously, yeah. it's too early to to make any sort of sweeping statements about a guy who's five games into his offensive yeah. coordinator career. But um, I, I I really like that prediction too, and we know we know there are some people in the Zoom call that that like to bet, and maybe maybe an over is a smart bet this week. It might be. What is the line in terms of the the point spread or the uh, not point spread? But that's the, a great question. I wonder if someone here knows. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will. In the meantime, I will say the one thing I think I know, and we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think the Lions are going to win this game by mere of not turning the ball over more than once. Um, that is 
obviously one of the big keys to this game. It's one of the big keys to to how the Bucks have been so successful. I did look and the Lions have turned the ball over more than once. Just one time. It was the time that they lost to the Seattle Seahawks, a three turnover event there. And so as long as the Lions can keep hold on to the ball and Jared Goff has mostly been very, very good at that. He had obviously had the interceptionless streak going uh, into this year that broke, but blinds have also held onto the ball quite well. Not a lot of fumbles outside of a Marvin Jones fumble and a David Montgomery fumble. And, um, Scotty Montgomery, the, the Lions running backs coach, even talked today about how much they've worked on ball control from their backs. So I think the Lions, by mere of not turning the ball over more than once, you could have one happen in a game. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I think they're going to win the football game. Just throw every every other stat out the window. They're they're gonna they're gonna win or have an even turnover margin in this game, and that's going to be enough to send them to five and one. Well, there you go. The yeah. over. Under is set at 43 and a half. So I, I think that Scott would be a, a fan of over. taking that over. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think I think I'd take the over <laughs> with that number. Yeah, I, and, and and I really do think to, to Scott's point about it being a high scoring game and the Bucks offense maybe struggling on the ground. If they can get creative in the passing game, I, has anybody really tested this line secondary outside of the Seahawks? And, and, we, and we saw what happened with that. So. Right. It, it's it's not only the Seattle based offense, but it's two really good outside wide receivers, which is also what Seattle had. And that gave the Lions some trouble. Yeah. Yep. Big body guy like DK Metcalf. Oh, big body guy like Mike yep. Evans. Right. Yep. Uh, a, a crafty veteran like Tyler Lockett. Oh, a crafty veteran like Chris Godwin. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really that those are the guys that in the Seattle based offense that Tampa Bay has modeled themselves after with with Evans being, you know, uh, Metcalf and, and Godwin being Tyler Lockett. But one last thing I'll say real quick is when you look at at Dave Canales, I think he finally figured out kind of how to jumpstart things with the ground game. You know, he was a little stubborn against the Eagles. We're going to establish the run, you know, and and assert ourselves there. It didn't work. But in in New Orleans, he started by throwing the ball. Mm. That softened the run defense up a little bit. Plus, it got Baker in rhythm early. His first pass was an 18-yarder to Mike Evans. Boom, first down. Now you got a little bit of early momentum. And he did a really good job of getting the receivers involved early. It kind of like woke them up a little bit, got them into the game, got Baker into a rhythm, and then they ran the ball. And everything just kind of fed off of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do the same thing and, and attack the line secondary first, soften them up a little bit, get those linebackers to kind of drop back just a little bit, and then start running the ball. That's that's really smart. I think that's that's very well what they could be doing on Sunday. Uh, Scott, before we let you go, I want to give you a, a, a minute or two here to talk about what you do. Uh, Peter report where where people can find you and, and read some of your your obviously great insight on, on, on this week. I appreciate it. You can check us out at pewterreport.com. We've got some great uh, stories about the Bucks lions game, some previews. We have some more previews coming up uh, later this week. Uh, we've got a podcast tomorrow on our Pewter Report TV channel. That's um, Peter Report TV on YouTube. You can check out our podcast live tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We have former Bucks uh, head coach, Ring of Honor guy, and Hall of Famer Tony Dungy on the nice. show talking Bucks Lions from back in the day. So if you're an old guy like me who <laughs> you remember those NFC Central days, uh, tune in because we're going to be talking some Bucks Lions matchups with Herman Moore and Brett Perryman and Scott <laughs> Mitchell, the guys that he went up against, yeah. right? But he was the coach here in Tampa, plus looking ahead with his fresh eyes 
uh, as an NF uh, as an NBC uh, reporter uh, about this Bucks Lions game, the insights that he sees. You know, Tony's a Michigan guy at heart, yeah. so he oh, was, yeah. was uh, was was born there. So um, should be some really good stuff. You can also follow us on social media on X and Facebook and Instagram at Peter Report. Great, Scott. Really, really appreciate your time and your insight. I, I, our live audience is, is obviously a huge fan. I'm now a huge fan, and I'm sure the people listening at home are also a huge fan. So make sure you go follow Peter Report, all the great stuff. I've already read a couple of their things as well, because I, I and, and that's why I knew I, we had a good guest here. So, uh, Scott, appreciate I might that. see Thank you. you. I might see you down there on Sunday. I'm yeah. going to make the trip down there. Uh, if not, I have a, a wonderful weekend. And Ryan, you have a good weekend here up in Michigan as well. Oh, thank you. You know, I won't be as warm as you will be, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be sending some good vibes. Some hot Appreciate vibes. it, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you all for listening at home. Um, until next time, we'll be doing a, a live podcast after the game. I probably won't be a part of that one, but we'll see. Either way, uh, thanks for all listening. It's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.